The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Clean Coders and its employees. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Clean Coders Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Maxwood, and this week we're talking to Sandro Mancuso. Hey, Chuck, how are you doing? Doing well. So, uh, yeah, we had a little bit of a chat. Do you want to just introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Sandro. I've been working as a developer for a long time. In the past six years, I started my own consultancy company. We grew a little bit now. We have three different offices. And I'm one of the pioneers of software craftsmanship in the UK. So, of course, I learned a lot from the initial movement of software craftsmanship from Uncle Bob and the guys in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the first ones to bring that to the UK and Europe. Right. That's really great. And I think you uh, wrote a book about software craftsmanship as well. I did, yeah. So it's called The Software Craftsman. Uh, and I try to to cover a little bit of the history. So why we had the movement in the first place. But going back all the way from to Agile, the beginning, the early days of Agile, and what led to craftsmanship and, and what it means, the ideology mm -hmm. behind that, and, and some of the technical practices and things like that. Yeah, makes sense. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. So were you living in Chicago at the time, or did you connect with Uncle Bob? Uh, no. So how, so how did your exposure come about? Yeah. Yeah. So first, I was following uh, Bob's work. Uh, since uh, the beginning of my career. So I was reading his okay. books and following uh, his work. I got far more interested in the whole Agile thing when it came about. I, I heard about XP in the late 90s, and then Agile came in in 2001. I was very excited about it, but I was still in Brazil. So when I came to London in 2004, I was far closer to mm -hmm. Agile and everything else, and also to Bob's work as well. So following his work and following the Agile movement, as soon as they had the original meeting that led to craftsmanship in Chicago, I was aware of that. And then there was another guy in the UK that was also closer to them. Mm -hmm. and, and through those connections, uh, I really related to, to what they were doing. And I was very keen to start something here. That makes sense. So how did you get things started over there? So when I heard about the movement. I think that it would be cool to go back a little bit before why I got interested in the first place. Uh -huh. Right. So I think that for people like myself, well, I discovered many uh, years later that a lot of people felt like I felt. So when Agile came, up, came about, we were all very excited because people like myself, we were coming from a pre-Agile world uh, mm -hmm. In a very waterfall, massive gap between business and developers, uh, very hierarchical companies, and that was not great, right? So, and Agile had this huge promise of bringing business and technology together, uh, right. working side by side. So, so for us, it was very exciting because we would have a saying, we would play a more active role in software projects, right? And, and aligning the two sides, the business and technology, that was very, very exciting for all of us. And a good part of Agile in the early days was extreme programming, which was very developer-centric. So we, were all, we all got into it. But after a few years, 
there was a split in the agile community, right? So, mm-hmm. so one side became very processy, and the technical side uh, didn't get the same attention that the process side got. So, for example, with Scrum, mainly Scrum, right? Scrum was a blessing and a curse at the same time. It was right. great because it really helped to push agile across the globe. So, I think that the the, the massive adoption that we had in the agile world, in great part, uh, is because of Scrum. Right. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of the technical disciplines or the technical side of Agile was forgotten or at least not received the same attention. And that, for people like me that came from a very technical background, was a disappointment. So Agile was becoming very process-focused, but not technical. Right. So that led kind of, not, not frustration might be too strong of a word, but this insatisfaction or dissatisfaction led to the craftsmanship movement, because that's not what some of the original people, including Bob, wanted. They wanted, it was a developer's movement, and Agile moved to a a different direction. So that led to craftsmanship, to say like, you know what, we need to restore that balance, we need to bring the technical practices back. So that led to craftsmanship, and that's why I was interested. Right, because you wanted to keep the, the technical practices advanced to the point where we were focused on the things that were going to make the difference in the software we were writing, not just in the processes that we used to write the software. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, so we, are not, we are not fighting what was in there. We are not saying like, right. oh, this evolution was bad or anything like that. But it was not a full evolution. It right. was a partial evolution. And we wanted to, 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 to bring it back. But I don't think that we were at a stage uh, back then that we could reconcile the two. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's why there was a need for something different. That to, to try to, to and, and if you think about the, the technical side of craftsmanship, or at least the technical practices that are uh, heavily advocated inside the craftsmanship movement, they are basically all extreme programming practices. That's true. A lot of them really are extreme programming or very closely related to practices that came from that. Indeed. So, so that was uh, my interest. Uh, and of course, the craftsmanship brought a few other things as well because XP. Is very focused on practices, but we also felt that we need uh, something a bit stronger as well. Because Agile, for example, if you take the difference between Agile and Scrum, one is more of an ideology, right? So it's a way of thinking, it's a way of right. wanting to do things. And Scrum is a methodology, it's more... So, so that's how I also see the difference between software craftsmanship and extreme programming. Right. For me, software craftsmanship is more on ideology. It's a way that you look at your career, uh, the role of a software developer in, in a wider ecosystem, while extreme programming is more like a, a, a very good and strong set of practices that we use, but they are not the only ones. So we, we like many other practices, and we should be replacing some of the XP practices as soon as you find something better. Right. So if you could boil down, because we've kind of talked our way around the path from Agile to software craftsmanship. So Mm -hmm. is there some core idea that kind of encapsulates what software craftsmanship actually is then? Yeah, so um, the one that I like the most is the the professional attitude. So Mm -hmm. it's the personal responsibility. It's to treat your, the work that you do as a profession and not a job. And for me, this is a, a huge distinction, right? So a job is a thing that you do, but not necessarily as part of who you are. But when mm-hmm. you have a profession, you incorporate that into yourself, right? So that's part of who you are, right? When you say someone, let's say I'm a doctor, 
you're saying that right. what you are, right? So I'm a software developer. You're saying what you are. Mm-hmm. It's different from, say, I work for company X or I write code or I build software. It's, it's a different relationship. And I think that craftsmanship has this aspect that, it, that is uh, really strong. Another thing that it has that is really strong is the community aspect as well. So we also feel that uh, it's our responsibility uh, to evolve our community. We get a lot from the community, a lot from open source, from, from people developing methodologies as well. But we also feel that it's our job to contribute back somehow. I'm not saying like dedicate your life just to do that, but at least even small contributions in whatever you can do, even podcasts like this one, like sharing your ideas or sharing code or going to a meetup. So helping one developer get better. So this is also part of craftsmanship. Right? And of course, this professional attitude towards uh, your clients, that is also important in terms of you are providing a service. And so this professional attitude is not only about your own learning. So there are two aspects to it. First of all, you own your career. So you are responsible right. too. So you cannot just blame your employer because they are not paying, buying you a book or not sending you to a conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is your career, right? So software developers cannot complain that they don't have money, right? So, so we are in a very fortunate position that even a junior developer probably earns more than half of the population, right? So we believe that it's, our own, it's in our own interest to own our careers, to, to decide what we learn, how we learn, mm-hmm. and not blame our employers. If our employers are providing us space for us to learn, we should praise that, but not think that is their obligation. That's one side. Another side is providing good service. It's becoming, that's what it means to be a good professional. Make sure that your clients are happy, not blaming them, but try to help them. This is all part of the mindset. That's the difference for me of the ideology and the difference between ideology and methodology. Right. So this has nothing to do with test-driven development, mm-hmm. for example. Right. So if somebody's thinking, okay, this all sounds good, how do I start? you know, putting some of this into practice, right? How do I start moving forward so that I can become a software craftsman? Well, so, what so kinds of things do they do first? All those things are behavioral, right? So you don't need anyone or, or anyone. It's just like introspecting. All the things that I mentioned, mm-hmm. there's absolutely no one or no context that would prevent you. As I said, it's, it's an ideology. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of looking at life, at your career and stuff. So at some point you say, hey, this thing that I do on a daily basis and get paid for, is this just a job for me or is something more? Right. If it's something more, would I want you to be better at that? Right? So should I take pride in, in trying to offer a better set? So, but, so there's nothing, you don't need to do anything, right? So anyone, right. there's no bar. It's not like, a, do you know this technology or you don't know this technology or can you, it's just an attitude. Yeah, that's fair. But it seems like at the same time, then it's, okay, well, I'm going to be a professional. So I'm going to do certain things. You know, you mentioned testing as an example, or, you know, I'm going to spend a certain amount of time learning or things like that. So so how does that boil down to specific practices now that I've accepted? Okay, you know what? I want to act like a professional. I want to do the things that make me a good service provider. I want to I want to be the kind of programmer that, you know, does the right kinds of things for my career and for the people that I'm working for, are there certain practices that people tend to naturally gravitate to, like testing uh, or things like that? Yes, certainly. Uh, but before we even get down to the practices, uh, I'm less religious about practices or dogmatic. Mm-hmm. I think a, a, an important question is to say, 
what kind of professional you want to be because there's not single oh, shape, fair. right? Yeah. So, but let's assume, I think that your question is driving us towards that. Let's say I'm a, I'm a developer. I like building code, building features to my clients, working as part of the team. That's what probably most of us normally do. So in that case in specific, if I'm building software, that's one of my main activities and that's the activity that I want to be better at or offer a great service. The mm -hmm. bare minimum that I need to worry about is that I can deliver software according to the satisfaction of my client. So right. it's not about what I think about my code or the value that it produces. Is my client satisfied with what I delivered? So that's always the approach. Is there a satisfaction to what it matters? It doesn't matter what I think about myself. My reputation is not what I think it is. It's what my clients think it is. Right. Right. But in order for them to be happy, so then there are rules of practices in there. There are some process practices related to process in order to understand what they want, to manage their expectations. And that's we are talking about product backlogs. If you are working with iterations, you are working on continuous flow. Uh, if you are going to organize those uh, deliverables into user stories with acceptance criteria, those are all different techniques and practices that you need to master uh, to satisfy that need. And then the code itself, the same thing. The minimum that I would expect is that whatever I do works according to what we agreed in terms of acceptance criteria and stuff like that. And I would love that anyone could very quickly, when things are not working well, that not only myself, but anyone else working at Codebase, in one click of a button in a few seconds, could figure out exactly what is broken and where. And that's right. when you need to automate your tests. Mm -hmm. So, and if you're automating your tests, there are certain ways to automate your tests that are much easier than others. So writing the test first, I find it much easier than writing the test afterwards. So for me, test-driven development would be more suitable to achieve what I want than write the test afterwards, right? So, so, and then mastering the different styles of TDD, like we did, uh, Bob and I did with the series of videos, like we spent 14 mm -hmm. hours or 13 hours coding an hour wow. later discussing. So showing completely different techniques for TDD to actually build exactly the same application. Mm -hmm. So there are different styles of TDD that you can mix and match. There are pros and cons. So, so then that's when, for example, once you uh, decided that test automation is a thing that you should master in order to provide a better service, not only to your client, but everyone around in the same project, then you should master the technique. And then there are all the different levels of depth you can go into mastering that technique. Right. But before, again, you need to define what is the set of techniques that makes more sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually did an episode of the iFreaks podcast. Nobody else was on that one, but so I just monologued. But yeah, it was a lot of, yeah, what do you want? Where do you want to end up? What kind of person do you want to end up at? You know, what kinds of things are going to matter to that? And then you can start figuring out, yeah, what in the, in the case that I was covering, what technologies or what practices or what skills you need in order to get there. And mm -hmm. I kind of see this as the same kind of thing, except you're coming at it from values or guiding principles mm -hmm. and then saying if i really do believe this if i really do care about this then what do i need to learn next in order to you know live up to it yeah exactly so uh, doctors for example they had a sec depending on which doctor you are what kind mm -hmm. of work you do as a doctor which kind of area of specialization you have because there are many different types of doctors and stuff some some right. do open heart surgery many others don't right so 
according to which kind of doctor you want to be, you need to master the, the, the practices necessary to do right. a good job in there. For us, it's the same. My explanation was based on the more, as, as you said, more ideological, more what kind of profession do I want to be. But for example, not everyone comes to that in the same way. For example, I go to, to many companies where developers will uh, disagree in which techniques to use, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and at that point, and they are not coming from this very ideological position, right? So they just say, mate, I just want to have my, my job done here, right? Yeah. So then you need to, in order to resolve them, you need to set up some principles, right? So like what do we want to achieve here? Right. So what is the goal? Do we care about reducing the, the, the size of our testing cycle? Would we like to deploy system more often? Right. How often? Once a week, once a month, once every two minutes. Right. Because if the answer is once a month, so and that's good enough and everyone is more than happy. No one has wants to reduce that. And to, to, to be fair, we, we, there's a lot of conversations about continuous delivery and deploying multiple times a day. We work with, in some businesses uh, in regulated environments that they are not keen on deploying less than, than once a month. They wouldn't have right. that cycle. So the kind of practices that you use, they sh every practice is a means to an end, right? It is a means to an end. But if you don't agree in, in what the end is, you cannot have a sensible debate about TDD. And this is how I saw a lot of discussions in development teams that and even between developers and business, they are pushing TDD. You need to do TDD, period. But you are coming in, you are proposing a solution. You're proposing a process, but to which means? What are we trying to achieve here? So if we don't agree that we want to reduce the, the cycle of QA, or we want to deploy very often, we want to make sure that all the developers can work independently and quickly fix things. If we don't agree on those values, it would be very difficult to sell a practice. But if you tell the business, hey, would you like to deploy very often? Yes. So you need to automate your process. You need to remove all your manual processes. Mm -hmm. That's for me, is more important sometimes. That, and, and that's we developers miss that. We don't focus which problem we are solving. We just say, you need to use this practice. And that's where things go wrong. Right. So I guess the other thing I run across is that, I mean, I experiment with processes quite a bit. And so then if I have an end that I'm trying to achieve and then usually I have some experience with something that, you know, I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure this is going to get me closer. But mm -hmm. sometimes I run into something and I'm like, I want this outcome, but I don't know what practices to go to. I don't even know what practices are out there to get me there. Mm -hmm. And so how do people, if they're trying to adopt this software craftsmanship ideology or even just, you know, achieve some specific end without having the experience, to know what practices to go and grab. Are there good resources for that? So I don't think there is a single place to go. Uh, of course, in my own book, I, I give a few things, but right. uh, there are all the specific methodologies and stuff, but you need to know that they exist in the first mm -hmm. place. So for example, if you heard about software craftsmanship, a good uh, place to start, the same way we would do with Agile, is figure out who are in that space, like who is talking about those things, what are the books around? Very importantly, is there any community nearby? Or is there any online community uh, that I could join? And then you start getting closer to the people in that space, and then you figure out what they are debating. So, for example, uh, there are a few things that I'm very interested in our industry, right? So mm -hmm. either being either technolo uh, technologies or methodologies, so what are 
architectures and stuff. So what do I do normally? I try to figure out who are the main people in those space. And then I try to follow them on Twitter. I try to figure out if they have, uh, I don't know, a blog or a podcast or some videos and stuff. So gradually see who they interact with. And then gradually start expanding your knowledge of, of the key players in each, in that technology or in that right. space. And through that, then you have access to a lot of information, right? So what are the resources available and so which practices those people are using and so on and so forth. Yeah, that makes sense. Another thing that I've seen there is that if you reach out to people and you just let them know what you're trying to achieve, a lot of times they're willing to help. Mm. And so it's not Certainly. just, uh, oh, what are they doing and how are they getting there? But maybe they have some pointers. Maybe they've learned some lessons that they can you know, help me shortcut some of this stuff. A lot of people are really willing to reply and say, oh, well, make sure you're doing this and not that. No, indeed. And look, I, I don't know much about many other professions out there. But I, I struggle to name any other profession out there that has such an exchange of information and ideas globally like we do. Maybe journalists, mm -hmm. maybe some people in the media, but like there are not many professions that have this amount of exchange for free and people willing to help each other like we do in the development space. Right. Makes sense. So... Are there a list of sort of best practices to at least start with? Because that's the other thing that I see with some of these like TDD or pairing or, you know, some of the things that you get out of like uh, XP, right? Is mm -hmm. that a lot of times people can adopt a set of practices and then they can kind of tweak from there. Okay, you know, pairing isn't working for us the way we're doing it or it's not working for us at all. We're going to do something slightly different. We're going to try this kind of code review or something like that, which at least to me, kind of moves us a little bit more toward agile and a little bit less toward software craftsmanship where we're talking about, you know, tweaking the practices, especially across a team. But yeah, is, is there kind of a set place to start for software craftsmanship? Or do you no. kind of have to cobble it together? Well, as you yes go? and no. Because it's, uh, I've tried my best. Uh, again, software craftsmanship as any other, how can I say, community out there, it grows organically, right? So there's no single owner of software craftsmanship or agile or, I don't know, right. domain-driven design and stuff like that, right? Yeah, so, but if you pick up a scrum in agile, right, they give you a set of practices and, and ways do. of, of doing things, right? So are there software craftsmanship methodologies that you can... I made a big effort in trying to keep software craftsmanship as an ideology and not attach it to your methodology. And the okay. reason being is uh, I will get to your, I will list the practices. <laughs> so, so just, but yeah. just bear with me a little bit because I don't want to say, yeah, just do test-driven development, pre-programming, continuous integration, you are done, right? So yeah, fair so, enough, fair enough. So, so just bear with me a bit. My feeling is a practice should be put into a context, right? So mm -hmm. also, I don't believe in this thing about best practice. For me, a best practice is only good until we find a better one to replace it, right? So if you say to me that there is a better way to achieve certain things than TDD, I would ditch TDD today, right? So, so that's, that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. So for example, you said, oh, Perry is not working for us. Oh, great. So stop doing that. What are we going to do instead? Right. right. So with that in mind, what are the practices that we currently advocate? Well, a lot of people, including myself in software craftsmanship, advocate. From the coding perspective, from the very detailed of the code, mm -hmm. in order to write code, we would always advocate to test drive the code. All right? okay. With a few exceptions, 
being you are in completely exploratory mode. You are doing a thing that you don't even know how it looks like. So if you are working like that, of course, did your test, just hack some code, push, figure out how it works, and then you may re, uh, either rewrite with CDD or just try to put some tests around with what you create. So, right. But if you are just working on a normal way, like user stories, acceptance criteria, speaking to your product owner, having a chat with your team, define a high-level architecture, oh, by no means that you know what you are doing, just test to like the thing. So... Simple design, also an ex, uh, extreme programming practice. So just focus on building something simple first. Just make it more generic and more, how can I say, prepared for future change when you have evidence of that. So focus on the simple, not on the, the more generic. Go for a specific instead of generic, mm-hmm. right? So just to get started. So I like pairing, but I don't like pairing full time. I think that it's important for you to have your own time to explore alone. But sometimes you cannot even explain to yourself what you want to do. <laughs> sometimes you just want some time, so like you know, let me just play with this a little bit. Uh, yeah. Or sometimes it's just a waste of time. Sometimes we are just looking at each other type, but we both know exactly what needs to be done. So there's no learning for anyone. Mm-hmm. So that's also for me ways. So pa- I love pairing, but I think that 100 percent is way too much. I think that there is a balance that you can achieve in that. And even mobbing, uh, I, I like a lot, but there are it has its place. Right. And I think that individual exploration also has its place, right? So also in, in code, very focused on coding, I think that the clean code book is a must read. I think that uh, everyone has a very different notion of what clean code means. Most developers think that their code is great and that creates friction. And I think that in order to establish a baseline, they need to have a kind, some sort of an agreement, right? right? So are they going to test drive code or not? Are they going to favor specific over generic to start with or not. And then what it means to be clean code. Like so, and I think that the clean code book has loads of amazing advice in there. So they should be a must read uh, for people. Then we start moving a bit further from the, the method functional level. We start talking about what I call more of a, a macro design. Is how you are going to organize your modules, how are you going to split your layers. So are you going to have a delivery mechanism? Are you going to separate your infrastructure from your domain? How are you going to organize this domain and, and having things plugged in? So then we start getting to the realm of domain-driven design. We start getting to the realm of clean architecture, start getting to the realm of uh, CQRS, event sourcing. So uh, many other techniques, I have my own interaction-driven design, so that are all slightly different views or uh, hexagonal architecture. So all of those things, design patterns, all of those things are in a slightly higher level. And right. for me, they are also knowledge that you need to have. And then you have all the architectural level as well. How many deployables you're going to have? Mm-hmm. Right, I'm going to go for the cloud. So how am I going to deal with transactions and security and so on and so forth? So there are, so when you talk about technical practices, we also need to calibrate of which level you're talking about. Yeah, that makes sense. One other thing I'm going to throw at you is, how do we put it? And, and again, this, a lot of this stuff gets thrown into agile as opposed to software craftsmanship. But what I found is that at least in a lot of the teams that I work on, a lot of the problems, even a lot of the things that manifest as technical issues, turn out to be people issues, right? And so some of that's down to agreeing on the practices we're going to use or the patterns we're going to use or the way we're going to organize code and a lot of things you're talking about. But... Are there software craftsmanship ideas around how we organize teams or people or work together or communicate with each other or things like that? 
Because again, to me, that's also down to being a professional, right? Certainly. But again, if you take software craftsmanship as a methodology, oh, sorry, as an ideology, then the answer would be no. But I can tell you what are the most common things to be discussed in the craftsmanship communities. And normally, those kind of subjects, they are not the main topics that we discuss. We tend to, to, to be very uh, technical focused. However, most of the people in the software craftsmanship community, they are also people that like agile methodologies and lean methodologies. Right. So it's not uncommon. In fact, it's common. It's just not the most of is not the core of the things that we discussed. We I talk gotcha. about process and, and everything else because this affects it. It affects us directly. Right? I got gotcha. you. So let's say that I move to London tomorrow, mm-hmm. and you know you decide that I'm super cool, and I decide you're super cool, and I want to become a software craftsman. Mm-hmm. So what kinds of things are you going to have me doing first? Right. So again. In order, for example, to work for a company, each company will value a different thing. We are a consultancy, mm-hmm. right? So for us, certain technical skills are very important because they, our clients expect those skills from us. So they know, oh, these guys are, well, they're quite big in the software craftsmanship world and they, they really advocate those extreme programming practices. Of course, that they will expect all our craftspeople uh, to have a very good fluency or understand TDD and be able to test drive almost any kind of coding difference, okay. right? So, so there are cer- certain key technical practices that are expected from anyone in our company and software design as well. That's the technical side, the, second, the, the macro design, architectural level, and test-driven development at the mm-hmm. different levels but uh, in the micro as well. But then we also have a slightly different requirements as well. We need some good consultancy skills. We work with clients, right? So we do teamwork. We is extremely important that, for example, the thing that you were referring to about team structure, speaking to product owners, be able to structure the engagement, managing expectations, all this process side that Agile became quite strong on, they are also quite important for any senior cross person in our company, right? We cannot just rely on someone else to, to put a process in place for us. Right? We need to go there and own that ourselves as well. So we need to make sure that our clients are happy with the transparency, the visibility that we are providing, working together, never be surprised with what we are working on or delivering to them. So they, they always expecting what's going to happen in the next few days. So things like that. So this side is important. But if you want to go for a tour for an investment bank, their criteria to join their teams will be very different. Right. right. Although they we have a few of the investment banks as our clients. But again, the criteria they use to hire is very different from the criteria that we use to hire. What they expect from their people is different from what they expect from Mm -hmm. us. Got it. So what are you working on now to kind of change topics and see, yeah, give people an idea of where you're at? So we have quite a few projects, right? So our company has uh, more than 80 people now and we are still growing. We have three offices. So there's loads of projects going on at the moment. The ones that are much closer involved are projects that are related to what we call software modernization. Okay. So I don't know if it's a good thing for me to keep saying that I love legacy code and I love you to take some... some <laughs> oh, I know a lot of people that, that hate legacy code and all the problems <laughs> I, that come with trying to make it modern. So right. So I know, right? So, so but, but I really, really like those projects. So a lot of people want to greenfield, modern, blah, blah, blah. I actually absolutely love the challenges of software modernization. 
So there is a specific project even uh, for a, a quite a big American client. And there is, and they are in a regulated environment as well, which makes it even right. trickier. But I'm absolutely loving the project. So the challenges of modernizing a system, besides the extremely difficult technical challenges, because you need to modernize the system while while evolving the system and always having a working version of the system. So you cannot stop the business to do the modernization. So deciding what to do first, in which order, what is more important, what you're not going to do, what are the problems that you need to live with, and which problems you're going to prioritize. So, and then you have all the dysfunction in the organization as well, because this, as you were briefly mentioning before, some of the problems that you see in the software, they were not only caused by the developers. So there is a, a more systemic problem every now and right. again. And if you want to modernize something, you also need to start pushing for some changes in the organization. It's almost doing the, the, uh, the reverse, uh, what is it called? The invert Conway's maneuver. So you know Con yeah. Conway's law. Right. The structure of the company, the, the communication structure of the company, up in, impacting the system. So if the communication is all messed up, the system will be right. messed up, and so on and so forth. So when you are doing modernization, you are taking normally a system that is badly architected and stuff like that, and you are trying to re-architect, modernize, bring. But then is a is a, almost a reverse Conway's maneuver. You are pushing a better structure of the code <laughs> that needs to reflect in the organization of the company, right? Which is a fascinating thing. And oh, those yeah. are the things that I like a lot. Very cool. Have you written a book on that as well? or Not yet. It's in the plan. So I'm working on a book right now uh, that is related to that, but it's not specific on software modernization. The book that I'm writing is about aligning product and software design. Oh, okay. Right. So, so we still have a big... Uh, with Agile, we are much better. The, the uh, business development... Uh, sorry. Uh, software development and uh, business are much closer than they were in the past, mm -hmm. but I don't think that is fully there. And I'm trying yeah. to close even more these guys. I think that'd be really interesting to dive into just from the sense that, so I've been working on a couple of uh, products myself. I have one for podcasters and one for software developers that are kind of in the works right now. And yeah, you know, I get in and I know what I want it to do. I know kind of what the people and what the processes involved are. But translating that into software isn't always the same thing, right? It's not always mm -hmm. clear what, how that reflects. Yeah. You know, especially when you're down to, okay, well, I need persist some of this to the database and, you know, but, but do I persist it all to the same table or do I do some kind of relational thing or, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a lot of that. And then all the way up, right? So then what are my entities or models and, you know, how, how does that tie together and how does it render into actual, an actual view on a website or mobile app? And so, you know, what is uh, fascinating about that? And that's exactly why I'm writing a book, uh, because, my view on this is with agile, agile processes, we allow the business to work to still work in a very strategic way. So, so I'll try to, to be brief because this is a, also a very long topic. But think about a normal agile project. So at the very beginning, they are building a product. There is some exploration, regardless how, how they do that, if they do market research or speak to users or create a small prototype and push up there. So there is some business analysis if that product is viable or not at a business level, right? Once they have that, then they start saying, okay, let's create a product roadmap. Or let's create a few milestones. Uh -huh. And then they take the first milestone in a very agile fashion. Okay, so we have kind of product roadmap, a few milestones, but let's just focus on the first milestone and let's detail that a little bit more. And they create a few epics in there, a few features. And okay, so now that we have that, 
let's just focus on the, the most important feature to get started. And then they break that down into the user stories and acceptance criteria, so on and so forth. So you have a, a product backlog. If you're using Scrum, you might have an iteration backlog, so you start working. Yeah? So that is kind of on the business side, on the product ownership side, that's how they are working. And then what we normally do, we go through the first iteration, we deliver a few things, we don't deliver others, business gets some feedback, and then they help to prioritize the, the, the work that we do the next iteration, so on and so forth. So the business is constantly getting the feedback, and they still keep the prioritization according to the, the feedback they get of what should be done next. Yeah? Are we? Mm-hmm. So that's a normal job. Yeah. The problem is, as developers, our intersection with the business, and I'm talking about the average company with a few teams, uh, not right. like a small group of developers working on a startup, because that's a very different uh, dynamics, right? So the developers are much closer to all the decisions. But a normal organization, medium-sized, a few teams, productors and stuff. So the developers get involved to discuss the items at the top of the backlog. That's only then that they start figuring out what needs to be done. And they are expected to do that in one or two weeks within that iteration, right? Or if they are doing a continuous flow, each task will be done. They need to break them down a little bit further mm-hmm. and do that in one or two days. So if, you are, if the developers are always working very, very small cycles, while the business have the time to, while the iteration is moving, they reprioritize and become strategic, when can we become strategic? For example, the things that you were saying. So mm-hmm. when do you actually have the time to think about a wider picture, how I'm going to structure this architecture in here. So should I use the same database? Should I, should I split my database? Should I use a micro front end? Or should I use microservices at the bottom? Or should I deploy everything together and so on and so forth? In order to make those decisions, you need to be involved far earlier in the, project, the product, the same way that the business does. Every now and again, as a few iterations go by, they reanalyze the product roadmap, right? the product strategy. But because we only work on the top user stories, very rarely we have the full visibility to reevaluate the entire architecture and be more proactive in order to come up with an architecture that will sustain the next milestone mm-hmm. of the business. Right. So we work normally in a reactive way. We work in the small one user story at a time until mm-hmm. the system doesn't cannot support anything anymore, and then we beg for a refactoring time. You know. Right. So the whole Point is, bring that connection all the way from the product strategy. So having the technical people involved on creating the milestones and stuff, so that they right. can be proactive and provide an architecture from the beginning to support that next milestone. Right. And yep. as the business refine the requirements from very high level to a acceptance criteria and user story, we should be doing the same thing from an overall vision for an architecture to which class, which function are going to write. Mm-hmm. So that goes in parallel. Makes sense. Yeah, I'd love to dive in deeper on that. Uh, I know that we don't have time this time around, but maybe we can talk about mm-hmm. either the modernization or the product software alignment stuff next yeah. time we have you on the show. Cool. Yeah, software um, modernization has a very has a lot of similarities, but there's also a very different process in order to figure out, as I was saying, prioritization stuff. There's a is a is a quite yeah. cool topic as well. Sure, yeah, absolutely. If people want to find you on the internet, where do they go? Right. So the best place is uh, Twitter, Mm -hmm. at Sandra Mancuso. That's where I am. I've been a bit uh, lazy with Twitter recently, but I should become more active uh, again. I was very active in the past. I'm less active in the past month or two. 
but I should be more active uh, moving forward. But yeah, so at Sandra Moncus on Twitter, we have some uh, blogs and videos uh, on the Cogitance website and, and YouTube. And my email is sandro at cogitance.com. That is the direct email to Nice. All right. Very cool. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming and chatting about software craftsmanship with me. I'm assuming your book is on Amazon. Is there a better way or place to get that? Amazon is the best way to get that. Okay. Very cool. We'll go check that out. We'll put a link in the show notes. Also, the TDD course or content that you did with Bob Martin. Yeah, it was uh, just a very small thing on that. is what we did was we had a front-end app written in React with eight APIs, and we built the entire back-end from nothing, all the frameworks, mm-hmm. web frameworks to create all the APIs, and we've done it twice. Right. One using one style of TDD, the other one using a different style of TDD, but to achieve exactly the same thing. So the comparison between the two styles is probably, it is a really cool thing to see, how you can get the same thing done, but in a completely different way when it comes to test-driven development. It's a pretty cool Nice. Stuff. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and call this good. We'll have another episode next week. And in the meantime, folks, max out. Awesome. Thank you very much. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more. <laughs>